if I haven't met you yet, my name is Brian Steele, and I'm a pastor with the great honor and joy of serving adults in this community to help adults grow in Christ, and I love it. We're in a sermon series about fish stories, and I need to begin with a personal fish story. It was when my wife and I, Katie, were fishing up in, uh, in Canada, and she hooked on to what's known as a barn door. We're fishing for halibut, and some of these things are monsters, and she's got a barn door on the line, and it's a fight and a struggle. They land it in the boat. It's about 80 pounds, and all I'm thinking is fish tacos for a year. <laughs> but then they get out their ruler, and by regulation, it can only be so big, and it was a half an inch too big and they have to throw it over the side. And I'm still bitter about that, friends. I miss my fish tacos. But we are in Jonah chapter 3. I want to do a quick catch you up to speed in the first two chapters. The, word, the book of Jonah uses the word great 15 times. The whole book is only 48 verses. But all fish stories are all about bigness and greatness, and book of Jonah is no different. So to catch you up to speed, God called Jonah to deliver a message to the great city of Nineveh, and Jonah had a not-so-great idea to flee from God by presence of a boat, and God called a great wind, made a great storm, caused great fear among the sailors, and a great fish swallowed Jonah when he was tossed overboard. And in the depth of great despair, Jonah encountered God's great love, is what we heard from Pastor Brian last week. But the fish had great indigestion, threw him up back on shore, and, uh, and this is part of the great fish story. But there's some gaps in this story that are very strange. Number one, God himself is never called great. Everything else is great, but God isn't called great. And it's as if we're waiting for a message to finish. You know when you're getting a text from somebody and there's those three little dots that are bouncing up and down? You know what I'm talking about? Nod your head like this if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so we're waiting for a message to come through that just doesn't come through, but it, it gets completed 500 years later when Jesus is showing up on the, on the scene and he was speaking to a group of religious elite leaders who were trying to destroy Jesus. And they were being stubborn, and they're not repenting. So Jesus pulls out this old, great Jonah fish story. And we're going to pick that up in Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus said this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. He's playing on that great theme, and what we see is Jesus is the greater Jonah. And Jesus, really, he was the smartest person to ever walk the earth, and I think he had a really clever sense of humor that he's, he's using there. He's playing on this literary theme of the book of Jonah that uses the word great so many times. But why is Jesus the greater Jonah? Jesus preached a greater message than Jonah. 
Jesus practiced a greater obedience than Jonah. Jesus proved to be a greater prophet than Jonah. Jonah nearly died in a storm. Jesus calmed the storm. Jonah told God, not your will, but my will be done. And Jesus told God, not my will, but your will be done. Jonah was food for a huge whale. Jesus took some tiny fish and multiplied them to feed a huge crowd. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale and then emerged to have new life. Jesus spent three days in the belly of death itself and then emerged to give us new life. Jonah preached a message that offered hope and restoration to a city. Jesus preached a message that offers hope and restoration to all humanity and all creation. And so Jesus is the greater Jonah. And I want to keep that in the back of our heads as we pick up the story in chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 1 of chapter 3, and it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. There's the theme again, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And what we see is that God called Jonah a second time, and I love that he didn't scold him. He wasn't wagging his finger or shaming him. But God did speak strongly and clearly for Jonah to arise and go and proclaim. And Jonah got a second chance. Now, it's really easy for us to make fun of Jonah, but I want you to think of the second chances that you've had. Maybe... Some of you have been in the belly of a whale, not for three days, but for three decades. And the question is, what are you going to do with your second chance? I want you to know that if you have breath in your lungs, you have an opportunity today to renew God's call in your life. So let me just do a quick check. Everybody, deep breath with me right now. Big one in. Big one out. We have breath in our lungs. This is good. I'd be worried if we didn't. But if you have breath in your lungs, it means you have a second chance today. Or a third. Or a fourth chance. Or a fifth chance. But really, the most important opportunity that you have is before the one. It's the one that's right before you right now to turn back to God. Now, the actual job that Jonah have, had was what's known as a, a royal proclamation. And this happens when one king wants to send a message to another king, and there's an emissary who walks between the two kings to deliver the message. That's the job of Jonah. He's being sent by God to deliver a specific message to a specific people in a specific place. Place. And, and we don't actually know where Jonah landed. It was somewhere on the Mediterranean coast, but we know he had a long, dry walk through arid land after he'd been 
really soggy at sea for a long time. So imagine this long trudge that Jonah had for weeks going somewhere he didn't want to go, for a task he didn't want to do, for a people he didn't want to see. And this is exactly how I feel when my wife says, husband, arise, go to Costco. (laughs) Bring me back organic chickens. It's that kind of feeling. (laughs) Some of you know what what I'm talking about. (laughs) But Jonah went. He arose. He went. Now, Nineveh was an unthinkable audience for God's message. The Ninevites were highly disliked by the Jewish people. We could say they were despised. They were the least likely to be offered mercy and compassion and love. Nineveh was part of a nation called Assyria, and the Assyrians had a violent history, and apparently this was the cradle of psychological warfare, where the kings not only wanted to defeat their enemies in battle, but they wanted to haunt their nightmares. So they, they, uh, they, they used really cruel forms of torture. So Nineveh and Assyria was this unthinkable target audience for God's message of reconciliation. And this is why Jonah was really reluctant to show kindness to these people. He was in more of a like an eye for an eye kind of mood than a love your neighbor kind of mood. But this is also a big reason why Jesus is the greater Jonah. He loved reaching people that others said were undeserving or the least. He had great joy in bringing love to the unlovable, even the despised. I want to introduce you to three different people. These are chronologically what appear to be the first three ambassadors that Jesus sent out on behalf of his kingdom. Here's the first. This is the Gerasene man. He lived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which meant he was Gentile, which is strike number one for him. He also lived among the tombs, which meant he was ceremonially unclean, which is strike number three. And then he was, or number two, and he was among the, the, uh, the pigs, which made him even more clean. And worst of all, he was inhabited and possessed by thousands of demons. And this is the man Jesus loved. And he went out of his way. This is what makes him a greater Jonah because Jonah was reluctant to go to Nineveh, but Jesus loved this man and offered him a message of hope and reconciliation. And he becomes the first ambassador of the kingdom of God sent by Jesus. I love that. Here's the Samaritan woman. Now, what you need to know about the Samaritans is they practiced a blend of both Jewish religion and pagan religion. So the pagans hated the Samaritans because they were too Jewish, and the Jews hated the Samaritans because they were too pagan. Nobody liked them. So already, if you're Samaritan, you're on the bottom of the list. But this is a woman which culturally made her even lower And because of her reputation and the way she apparently lived, she was the lowest of the low. And Jesus met her at a well. He loved her 
with joy he encountered her and offered her a message of hope and reconciliation. She becomes ambassador number two. And then here's the third one, is a leper who was unclean and they lived on the margins of society and they were cast out and you couldn't touch a leper. And if you came a leper, if you came close, you might even throw up in your mouth just a little bit. Like they were so despised. So would you look at all three? These are the ambassadors of Christ, his first three ambassadors. This is why he's the greater Jonah. He loved going to these unreachable, unlovable people. And I need you to have a moment of reflection. In your mind, who is the least deserving of God's mercy? Which group today to you seems untouchable? Which people would you be tempted to run away from if God was commanding you to run towards with his mercy? I want to give you a warning against disgust because your disgust is often not shared by God. Now, the most common way we, we see disgust in our culture is an eye roll, where you'd be like, you see that, that person coming down, and you go, oh, great, right? You know that eye roll, oh, boy, here we go. An eye roll is a sign of disgust and contempt. If a spouse is rolling the eye against the other spouse, marriage expert John Gottman said that's one of the signs of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, that marriage is likely going to end in divorce because disgust leads to annihilation. The horrors of history have, been, have happened under that blanket of contempt and disgust. And once a people group becomes the target of disgust, they're one short step away from annihilation. And if you hold disgust for somebody in your heart, at the very least, murder is lurking in your heart. But Jonah goes to this people, and he offers a really short message. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. He went to Nineveh, but it it seems like he's doing the the very least he can do. So let's pick up the narrative in verse 4, chapter 3. And it says this, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, Jonah only travels one day into a city that said it takes three days to travel across. So he's not even in the heart of the city where the king would be, where the power would be, where the palace would be. So he's not even, he's, he's taken a shortcut. But before we mock Jonah, we again have to re- reflect on our own lives. How often do we take shortcuts in our spiritual journey How often do we do the very least we can? The message he delivers is super short. In Hebrew, it's only five words. In English, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But shorten that in Hebrew to only five words. And it, for me, this raises some questions. I got questions. So did God only give Jonah a five-word message? 
Was that it? Did God say, listen, Jonah, say these five words? Or did God give Jonah a much longer message and Jonah only said five of those words? But regardless, it actually doesn't matter how long the message is or even how eloquently it's delivered because the power is in God's word. If I'm being honest right now, I feel like even this morning I've been stumbling a little bit. I'm praying the Holy Spirit would take the words I say and deliver it to you with power. The power is in God's word. And we need to speak God's word, offer Jesus' message of hope to a hopeless neighbor or a coworker or a friend. Because my eloquence will never bring revival, but the power of God's word can bring revival. Can I hear some acknowledgement of that? Is that true? It's true. Now, Jonah's message, it actually has some double meaning. So it could be heard in this way. It could be something like this. In 40 days, this place is going to be destroyed and overturned and trashed. And I think that's how Jonah was hoping the message would, would be delivered. But the message could also be like this. You have 40 days to turn things around, to repent, or to have a change of heart, to make the wrong things right. And I think that's what God was hoping would be the case. I think of the message something like this. When I was a kid and I'm driving in the, uh, on the road trip and uh, me and my brother and sister are in the back seat and we're fighting and things are not going good. My dad is driving and he doesn't look back, but he does this. It's the look in the rearview mirror. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's that look in the rearview mirror. And then dad says, you got five seconds before I pull this car over. <laughs> That's the message that Jonah's delivering, right? Yet 40 days and this place is going to be overthrown. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, there's a similar kind of message in there. You know how it goes. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You see, everything on earth that's not aligned with God's ways is upside down. God's kingdom is the standard. His goodness, his love, his mercy, his truth, that's the standard. All of those things are right side up and everything else in our life and this world not aligned is upside down to this. And when you pray the Lord's prayer in faith, what you're saying is, God, would you come and turn things right side up? Would you flip the tables over of the things that are upside down? That prayer of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a wrecking ball. You're inviting the Lord to destroy everything in your life that's not aligned with his ways, his love, his goodness, his truth. The Lord's prayer will turn your world upside down. We have echoes of this in Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet. 
in chapter 18, it says, If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, if that nation I warned repents of its evil, evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And so Jonah's message traveled like wildfire Right? The meme went viral, it got a million YouTube hits in one single day. And so we got to pick up the story again, starting in verse 5, and it says this. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least of them, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. And who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his face from his fierce anger so we may not perish. And friends, we can see that the people of Nineveh changed course in some great ways. The people themselves overthrew what was upside down in their lives so God didn't have to. The king initiated repentance on a regional level, including the animals, which is kind of funny to me. It's just, okay, also the animals. But what the king is doing is overthrowing the whole order of wickedness and violence. And, and this repentance is, is, is manifested in three primary ways. First, they believed in God. They put their trust in him. They relied on him. They reached out to him. They placed themselves in God's hands. Now, this is way more than just believing that God exists. And there's, there's two kind of faiths I want to illustrate. And, and for a big chunk of my life, I had what we might call Santa Claus belief. Right? If you have Santa Claus belief, you believe that Santa exists. And then you're going to do some nice stuff in December so that he gives you gifts on Christmas Day. And I kind of lived my Christian life like this for a long time. I believed that God exists. I better do some nice things because I want him to give me good stuff. Santa Claus faith. I want to contrast that with the kind of faith and belief that the soldiers of the Third Army showed to General Patton in World War II. And they had extreme faith and trust in their leader, Patton, to endure brutal winter conditions. And they followed Patton on this audacious march to reach the 101st Airborne Division in Bastogne. That kind of faith, that kind of belief in their leader involved trust and allegiance and dedication and endurance and risk. And this is the kind of belief and faith that Nineveh put in God. And this kind of faith turns the world upside down or makes the world right. So first, they believed in God. Secondly, they called out to God. There's power in speaking and naming your situation. 
calling out to God is not telling him something he doesn't know, but they're asking for mercy. They're declaring their need for him. And sometimes you have to give voice to what's inside, crying out to God. So they believed in God, they called out to God. Thirdly, they took actions seen by God. They ceased eating and drinking. They wore scratchy cloth. Most importantly, they stopped their violence. They turned the upside-down things right-side up. And, and even look at what the king did to change. The king went from sitting on a throne to sitting in ashes. He went from wearing a royal robe to wearing sackcloth. Action seen by God. And this is the power of real repentance. It's not just a temporary change of mind, but it's a change of living, lasting. Real repentance has real expression in the real world. If the real world doesn't reflect the repentance, then is the repentance even real? I have a story of false repentance. A couple months ago, I was eating a tub of my favorite ice cream, Ben and Jerry's Chubby Hubby. Anybody else know this? It's a, it's a, it's a peanut butter filled, chocolate covered pretzel and a malted caramel swirl of ice cream. My goodness. And I'm about halfway through this pint. And listen, friends, nothing good happens after midnight and nothing good happens after the first half pint of this ice cream. But I'm going for it. <laughs> I get about three quarters of the way through, though, and I'm starting to feel it. And I set the pint down. I'm going, oh, I got to change the way I do ice cream. <laughs> and I repented. <laughs> but did I repent? <laughs> because a couple weeks ago, fast forward, I just got back from Israel. I've been eating a lot of shawarma and falafel. And honestly, that chubby hubby was calling my name. So I get to the halfway mark of this pint, and I'm hearing the voice. I said I was going to repent. Technically, I kept my vow because I didn't eat three quarters of the tub, but I did eat the whole thing. <laughs> you know, I said I was going to change. I needed a change, but nothing actually changed in reality. In the 12-step recovery world, you're here, you'll hear this. Nothing changes if nothing changes. It's so true. And maybe you have that particular issue, not ice cream, but something else, and maybe you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried, and nothing's changed. Perhaps the biggest change that you need right now is to not do this alone. Maybe today is the day that you ask for help. God responds to the cry of Nineveh with great compassion. God relented from his plan of destruction. He had pity. He had compassion. Let's pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. 
Uh, from their description of the wickedness and the violence, it's evident that God didn't have to change his mind. Nobody would have faulted him if he administered harsh just, justice. But the Ninevites' obvious deep sorrow and active change of life was met with a kind response. This was the response that Jesus offered people, the greater Jonah. He gave compassion when people responded to him with sorrow and repentance. James chapter 4 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is kind. Jesus is waiting for you to return to him. He's waiting for you with open arms, ready to enfold you. And I need to talk right now to a group of people who are in this room. And these are people who are filled with shame. I want to speak directly to you right now. Shame is debilitating. It's soul-crushing. It makes you less and less and less of a person. It drives you into hiding. There was a time in my life when I couldn't even look myself in the mirror because of the self-hatred that I had and the shame. Friends, maybe this is you today. You might be thinking that <clears throat> you're beyond hope or you've crossed too many lines that God doesn't want you that you don't deserve his, his mercy and if that's you I want you to think back to Jesus the greater Jonah his message was extended to the people who were the very least the most lost in the deepest depth I think the reason he recruited the garrison man, you know, the guy living in the tombs among the swines with thousands of demons, partly it was to restore him, partly it was to restore you, to give you hope. Jesus didn't want there to be any doubt of the greatest extent of the Father's love to you who are in shame right now. If Jesus can say to the Roman soldiers who literally drove spikes through his hands, Father, forgive them, then if you're in shame right now, there is hope for you. If you're living under shame, it's time to come out from hiding. It's time to step into the light. I want you to talk to somebody you trust process all of those feelings of anger and grief and rejection and it's going to be difficult but it's going to be worth it draw near to god he will draw near to you so i'm going to invite the worship team back out we're going to have a a moment of connection right now between you and the god of the universe who's in this room right now Jesus, the greater Jonah, is here. And he's offering a hand of hope and reconciliation to you. See, friends, in our lives, 
there's always something that's not fully aligned with God's ways. There's always something that's upside down. Today, I have the capacity to inflict great harm on people that I love. Today, I have the ability to disappoint the people who are most important in my life. Today, I can choose a path of darkness that leads to wreckage. I need Jesus. Right now, in the quiet of your heart, I want you to just, if you could close your eyes, I want you to picture a situation in your life that's upside down. Maybe you've been holding disgust for somebody. Maybe there's an old habit that needs to be broken. Maybe you have a fear that's out of control that's leading you to isolation. Friends, maybe you have a message that Jesus gave to you to deliver and you've been running. I want you to know God is not throwing you overboard. But God does want to overthrow what's upside down in your life. He wants to make it right side up. He wants to return you to his goodness and his love and his ways that are true. So friends, holding that thing in your heart that you know that's upside down, just silently pray with me. Pray along with me silently. God, I believe in you. I trust in you. I cling to you. I'm putting everything that I am in your hands because I'm helpless. God, I'm calling out to you for this issue and just name it before the Lord in the quiet of your heart right now. Name it to him. In your heart, cry out to him with urgency while you have lungs in your while you have breath in your lungs. The Spirit will help you even if you don't know what to say. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking right now that you uh, show each person one action step, one real sign of repentance and change that they can and will take today. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to the step that leads to true life change, real repentance. Father, I pray for your blessing on each person here. I thank you that, that we don't need to hide in shame, but we can come out into the light. In fact, more than that, that we, can, uh, we have reason for great hope today and this moment we have reason for celebration. We can trust you that you can and will bring us to a place that's beautiful and good and true, that you will overthrow what's upside down and make us right side up. So we thank you. And all together we said in Jesus' name, amen.
And friends, I want to leave you with that kind of hope. I want to leave you with an anticipation to celebrate today what God will accomplish in your life. And so we're going to turn it to Andy and the team, and they're going to lead us in this song of celebration and hope because we have an incredible hope in forgiveness that Jesus is offering us today. Lord, 